Well, hey everybody, welcome to church today. Uh, we're so glad to have you here at Water of Life with us in our online campus. My name is John, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm so thankful for you. As we celebrate Thanksgiving here in the States, I just wanna say we are thankful for you, thankful that you're with us. And if this is your first time with us, we wanna know if you could text the word new here as one word to 818-818. We would just love to be able to greet you, say hi, and say thanks for coming out and, and checking us out online. Uh, a few things that are coming up right now that I wanna let you know about, a few things that that as we get into this busy season of um, Christmas and Thanksgiving uh, that we want you to know about so you can participate in what we're doing. The first is uh, CityLink does a, an event every year that we love. It's a Christmas toy store where we distrib distribute thousands of toys into our community to needy families. And so we're still going to do that this year. It's going to look a little bit different. It's going to be a mobile distribution, kind of a drive-through event, but you can still get involved. And so uh, we're going to be collecting toys, uh, 4,000 toys, between now and December 13th. Um, we're going to be doing our Sort and Praise event on Monday, December 14th, and the Toy Store mobile distribution on the 15th. And so if you want to get involved, head over to wallchristmas.com, and you can get all the details about that. In the meantime, you can start shopping, get excited, and bring those toys out either to the Fontana or the Upland campuses in the next couple of weeks. weeks. Also coming up is our uh, Mexico shoebox uh, gift distribution that we're going to do. We always partner with uh, our partners in Mexico and this year we're partnering with Dora Faith Orphanage and so we're really excited that even though we can't go, we can still get involved in buying gifts for those kids. And so you can get involved in three different ways. The first is you can uh, head over to the Fontana or the Upland campus on weekend services and you can actually pick out the kid that you'd like to shop for and do the shoebox for and it has all the instructions and everything you need. The second thing you can do is if you, you can go to wallchristmas.com and you can pick out a child on the website and shop for that child. And finally, we understand that a lot of people are watching online. A lot of people are not able to come here in person. And so if you just rather donate, you can donate $15. If you go to wallchristmas.com, uh, you can donate $15 and someone else will do your shopping for you. I know for me, me and my family, we've been down to Dora Faith Orphanage. It is an amazing place. I wish you could all go down there personally. And we have a child down there, Jesse, that we sponsor. And we're really excited to be able to shop for him this Christmas. And so I want to encourage you with your family, with your small group, jump in, be a part of this. It's a great way to just really be generous with people who are not in the same situation we are, who really need to hear about the love of Jesus. And so with everything else, head, up, head over to wallupdates.com everything that you need to know. All of our stuff about Christmas is at wallchristmas.com. And uh, today, if you'd like to worship with your tithes and offerings, we wanna encourage you, say thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. You can give through the Water of Life app, or you can head over to uh, wateroflifecc.org and you can give through our website. And so today, before we head into worship, I wanna encourage you with a verse that I was reading this week, uh, kind of this weekend, as I mentioned. Here in the States, we're celebrating Thanksgiving. And so this is the verse, it's from Psalm 89, verses one and two. It says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. And so to me, this is a great message of, of thanksgiving to God for all of his gracious gifts, not just this week, but all year long. And so before we head into worship, let me go ahead and pray for you. 
So Father God, I thank you so much for all that you're doing on our campuses. We're so thankful for your goodness that lasts through all generations, for all the gracious love you've given to us. Uh, no matter where we're at today worshiping, I pray that we would come together with one voice, lifting you up, and that you would be honored in our midst. So God, we love you. We're thankful for you and all the gifts that you are always so generous to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to head over into the worship center right now and join them as they're just about to start worship.
song that we want to teach you. Y'all ready to learn a new song? Oh, I don't know. Are y'all ready to learn a new song? Okay, okay. So now listen to this. And I'm going to teach you the chorus so that when the chorus comes up in the song that you'll know it, all right? We're good? Okay. Goes. You.
we praise you. God, we give you thanks. We give you just all the glory for your goodness, Father. Lord, things change in your presence. So we just ask that you would increase our faith in this room today. Father, it's such a sweet place to be near to you. God, I thank you that your word says when we draw close to you, you draw close to us. And there's such power in that. And so Father, we just, we ask that you would continue to move in this place through the message today, through your word and power. Thank you for your love for us. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. So good to be with you today. Thank you for joining us. Those of you online, we're so glad you're here. Why don't you give somebody a wave before you take your seat? today. Oh, I want to welcome all of you. So glad that you're here on Thanksgiving weekend, all 10 of us. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. You know, I haven't preached on a Thanksgiving weekend for probably 10 years, so this is a little different for me. I wasn't sure if anybody comes to church on Thanksgiving weekend anymore. I'm just playing with you. We're grateful for those of you online at Upland, different places. You got your Bible, your iPad, your phone, turn to Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to jump in there in just a minute, but first we're going to pray together and uh, kind of get our hearts ready for the high dive today. So Father, we want to come and just start, Lord, by saying thank you, God, for being such a great God, that you love people, you love us, you walk with us when we're hard to walk with, Father, you love us when we're hard to love. Thank you for being such a gracious and kind, loving Father. Thank you for that, Lord. And God, we pray for Pastor Bob right now and Lori. Um, as Bob is in the hospital, we just ask for his life back. God, we pray healing over him and just um, move with power and authority and life over Bob right now, Father. Do the same for us as we open your word today. We pray for your touch in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, uh, okay, you got your Bible, iPad, a phone. We're going to Isaiah 42. We're going to touch Matthew chapter 18. We'll be in a couple of places today. We're going to do some review before we get started. So if you haven't been with us, we're in the third week on a series called Reconciliation, what it really means to be a reconciler and to build life into other people, and uh, talking about closing up the breach, healing wounds, and all those kinds of things. And a lot of you are gonna go like this, this isn't my bag, Pastor Dan, this isn't my call, but I'm gonna show you today in the Bible that it is. If you're a believer, it actually is your call. And so we're gonna talk about what does that look like. So two weeks ago we started with John Dawson, did this amazing message talking about history and talking about reconciliation and the four parts of reconciliation. So let's do a quick review here. The steps of reconciliation. The first one was uh, confession, stating the truth, acknowledging things that are unjust. The second one was repentance, turning away from unloving actions to loving actions. The third one was reconciliation, literally means expressing and receiving forgiveness 
telling another person, receiving it back, and then restitution, attempting to restore things that have been damaged or destroyed. So we covered that last week. Now, the first few minutes here, we're just going to do review. Because some of you weren't here, and even if you were here, here's what's going to happen today. This is going to get deep, okay? So this is going to get like teachy and deep. So some of you are going to go like this. Oh, that's really hard. No, no, this is really important for you. That's why we're going to go deep with it, and I want to help you walk into it, if you, especially if you weren't here last week. Let's talk about this, this concept we covered last week called the priesthood of the believer. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and it's a picture of who we are. We are supposed to be the people who build the bridges. That's what a priest does. He stands between God and people and builds the bridges. So 1 Peter 2, 9 says this. It says, you are a what? Come on, say it loud with me. You are a what? A chosen race. So if you're a believer, if you're just visiting us and you're just like chasing after, seeking God, whatever, that's way different. But if you are a believer, that means you are part of a what? A chosen race, chosen by God. That also makes you royal priesthood. That's crazy, because I don't feel like that very often, neither do most of you. But he says you're a holy nation, a people for something. What is it? God's possession is a crazy, amazing thought. So that you could do something, what would you do? Proclaim the what? The excellencies of Jesus, who called you out of darkness into his light. So that, that's a picture of all Christians, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So we said last week, what does that mean? Well, a priest is a person who builds a bridge. He stands between God and the people, and he's a bridge builder, or she is a bridge builder, a person that closes up the gap and builds a bridge. So watch this. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 clarifies what that looks like. It says, all of this, Paul is talking, he wrote this, all of this is from God, who did what? He reconciled us to himself. He put us back together. He closed up the breach between us and the Father. He reconciled us through Christ and gave us, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. He gave who? Us. Who's us? Thank you. You're like, if you're sitting there like this, you need to say, it's me. I know you don't want to say it. That's why you're sitting like this. No, because you're like, I, this isn't me. No, 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 this is all of us. He gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. He committed to us the message of reconciliation. So that means we have a ministry, a job. Some of you are like, I need a ministry. Here's your ministry. He gave it to all of us, is that right? All of us, all of us, all of us. What does that mean? What does it literally mean, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, 19, what does it mean to be a reconciler? Well, it means a person who is also a healer and a reconciler. They close up the gap. So we talked about this last week, and I want to review it really quick with you. The word reconciliation, katalasso, it actually is two words put together. Kata, which means against, and alasso, which means to what? To change something. So to change being against something, to heal a breach a hole in the wall, and we'll cover that in just a minute, where the Old Testament says, I search for somebody to close the gap in the wall. So think like this, spiritual warfare. The enemy breaches a place in a country, a nation, a person's heart in order to destroy. 
So the enemy breaches the wall, and that's the picture the Bible gives you, is there's like a protection around you, but the enemy breaches the wall in order to destroy people. So it says, literally, this is a person who stands against that and tries to reestablish relationships, changes, the, literally the word means to change the currency, to exchange a value from one to another, to change your what? Your values. Now, have you ever noticed that the Holy Spirit tries to do that in you? Hello, that was the question. The Holy Spirit tries to change my values. He tries to change your values. Uh, he, he says, I really value this a lot, and I'm like, I don't value that at all. That's really not very important to me. Some of you are sitting there right now saying that. I don't value reconciliation very much. It's not very important to me. Well, it's really important to God. So how, how many of you know that the Holy Spirit will come to you to try to change your what? Your value and how you, how you perceive your, the ministry of reconciliation that you've been called to. You may not value it, but God does. So let's talk about what it looks like. Now, this is a, a review from last week. It's called Identificational Repentance. We talked about a couple of people, Ezra and Nehemiah. And Ezra was a person who identified. Nehemiah was a person identified. Now, what are they identifying? Well, Ezekiel 22:30 talks about this. That God says he looked for what? Someone to build up the wall and stand in the what? What, what, what? what gap? The gap that the enemy made. The gap that the enemy broke through. He broke through in a place in the wall of your life, your country's life, your, your nation on behalf of this was the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found what? Nobody. There was nobody to stand in the gap. Now, God raised up people to stand in the gap. One of them, his name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a super godly guy. You got to get this. He didn't do anything really wrong. He did a lot of good and right things. But listen to what Nehemiah says, Nehemiah 1, 6, and 7. Let your ear now be attentive. This is Nehemiah praying to God. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your what? So, 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 here's what a servant of God does. I am praying before you now day and night. And what is he praying? He's praying on behalf of the what? So, so, I'm praying on behalf of myself. No, no, he's praying for other people. Your servants confessing what? The sins of these people. Whoa, 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 hold it. How do you confess the sin of somebody else? That's identification and repentance. He actually didn't do this wrong himself, but he identified with the people that did his forefathers, and he said, I'm really sorry that we messed this up so bad. So he's, he's confessing the sins, which we, 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 hold it, who? We. He made himself part of the issue, which we have committed against you. I and my what? He didn't do this, friends. People before him did it, and they left him a mess. So you gotta think like that. This is what the enemy does in nations, in people. The enemy comes to create a mess and leave it for the next group. He says this, we have acted very what? He didn't do this, but he owns it. We've acted corruptly against you. We have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. So, 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 hold it. Nehemiah just throws himself right into it. That's called identificational repentance. Now, you may be sitting there going, I ain't doing that. Now, I didn't have anything to do with this. 
It's not my problem. Hold it. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are a minister or minister at of reconciliation. Is that right or not? And so if you are, that's part of your journey. You have to stand in the what? In the gap. You stand in the gap. That's what Nehemiah did. Now there's this other guy we want to talk about today. He, he stood in the gap too. His name was Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore I will divide him, Jesus, a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he, he, he poured out his what? His soul to death. Why, because he did something wrong? No, no, because he identified with people who did something wrong. He was numbered, identified with the what? Who were those people? Say, say that loud with me. Who are those transgressors? It's us. It's us. He identified, was numbered with us, and he bore the sins of many and made what? Intercession. He closed the gap for the what? Aren't you glad he did that? Jesus was a person who stood in the gap. No, no, no. Hold it. What are Christians? Jesus followers. Is that right? Hello, that's the question. Aren't Christians Jesus followers? So if Jesus stood in the gap, that means Christians should what? You don't like this. You're like, you're trapping us, Pastor Dan. <laughs> no, I'm trying to teach you something very, very, very important. Jesus stood in the gap, and he asked us to do the same, stand in the gap. Now, we talked about this last week in terms of forgiveness. So we covered Matthew chapter 18. We're not going to do that today, but if you want, haven't heard the message, you should probably listen to the link. We talked about forgiveness, and it said in verse 27 of Matthew 18 that the, the master, that Jesus is telling the story, he said the master felt pity or compassion. He felt what? In order to do what? You got to do this. No matter whether it's your personal situation or it's a corporate situation, or it's a racial situation, it's a national situation, you got to do this. Uh, here's the problem. We have trouble with this. I mean, last week, if you could have stood up here and seen how many hands went up when I said, how many of you are struggling personally with unforgiveness? <gasps> All of us. It's human, friends. Humans struggle with unforgiveness. We struggle with the issue of forgiveness. It's not one person, it's all of us. We struggle with forgiveness, it's hard. Anybody believe it's hard to forgive people? I mean, I wanna be forgiven, but it's hard for me to wanna forgive you. We're gonna cover this in just a minute. This has to do with justice and mercy. That's where we're going today, is to talk about justice and mercy. See, forgiveness takes compassion, yet we said this last week, forgiveness is an indicator of what? How real your walk with Jesus really is. Jesus said that, not me. Matthew 18, verse 35, 34. It says, listen, if you don't do this for other people, then you don't know me, because I did this for you, and you've gotta do this for other people. So you received forgiveness in order to what? Give it to other people. Yeah, but I don't understand them. I don't speak their language. I don't get them. Well, we said this last week. How many of you know God doesn't agree with a lot of your ideas either? But he still forgives you, doesn't he? That is why God is so amazing and he wants us to live like that. See, this Bible talks about this over and over and over. It speaks of two things a lot. Two things that we struggle with, what are they? Justice 
Now, let's talk about justice and mercy really quick because we're gonna go here and really plow this up. See, here, here's justice. If you do something wrong, you ought to get punished for it, especially if you did it to me. But if I do something wrong to you, I really think I should get some what? See, I'm all about mercy when it's me, and I'm all about justice when it's you. How many know that's human nature? That's how we all think. We think, man, you did it to me, you need to pay. But if I did it to you, I need to be forgiven. That's the struggle, friends, of justice and mercy. So you got your Bible, your iPad, your phone. Look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse one. It talks about justice and Jesus. It says, behold, this is a messianic prophecy. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I, my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth what? Justice to the nations. Jesus will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor will his voice be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, that is us whenever we're hurting, and a dimly burning wick he will not put out, that's us when we're not on fire for God, but we're just flickering around a little bit. It says he will help us. Here's what he will do. He will faithfully bring forth what? Justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his laws. Hold, hold, hold it. Don't miss that part. Verse four, it says he will not be disheartened or crushed. Why would that even be in your Bible? And here's the answer. Because Jesus has been treated unjustly. Is that right or not? People treat Jesus unjustly all the time. All the time. Jesus is treated unjustly, and that's why it says he won't be disheartened by that. He won't quit in doing the right thing. Ultimately, he will bring forth what? Come on, help me, what will he bring? Justice. Now let me show something to you and explain something to you. It's very, very important for you. There's a reason why the whole world struggles with this. Because they don't have the answer. You have the answer if you know Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He is just and the justifier of many. That's what the Bible says. You, church, have the answer that the world is starving for right now. If you, if you understand this whole issue, you can offer something nobody else can offer. You can offer healing where other people can't offer healing. So you gotta figure this out. Human effort can never, what? Can never do this. That's why the world struggles with this so much. That's why our own country's struggling with this whole issue of racial reconciliation. Because the church is supposed to lead the way. Now, now you're all like, hallelujah, Pastor Dan, I'm there. No, you're actually very quiet. You're very quiet. You're very quiet. You're like, hmm, I don't think so. I don't want to lead the way. This isn't my call. No, 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 no. Hold it. I just showed it to you. You're a minister or ministerette of reconciliation. That's what the Bible said about you. You were called for this very purpose, to heal the breach, stand in the gap, push back the darkness, drive the enemy out, 
Fill up where he's broken up. Heal the things that he's destroyed. So, 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 see, there's a reason Jesus declared that he alone could uh, usher in real justice. He does it through the church. Did you get that? You, you did, you're like, I don't want to be this person. No, 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 Jesus does this through his people. See, ha, let me ask you a question. Have you run into any Christians and weren't reconcilers? Let me answer for you. Yes, you have. Have you run into some people who don't heal it up, but they break it up? Oh, yeah. A lot of Christians. Now, let me explain this to you because this is in the Bible. You can be a Christian and not be a reconciler. But people that walk intimately with God are. Did you get that? People that yield their lives to God and let him change your values, katalasso, change your thinking, they are. They become these kinds of people. So, so, so there are lots of places you can do this in your world, friends, personally and corporately and nationally and publicly. So, so let's talk about some of them. Here they are. You can do it race to race, class to class, culture, immigrant versus native born, gender to gender, religion to religion, Jews and Christians, Christians, Muslims, Jews, Muslims. So often wounds are what? They're historical, they're old, and that's why we go like this, it's not my deal, I didn't do it. No, 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 you didn't do it. Hell did it in order to destroy generations of people. Hell did it. And it's our call to close up the what? The gap, to close up the gap. It's our call to build the bridge. It's our call to make a difference. Even though the wounds are old and historical, John Dawson did a great job teaching this a couple weeks ago, and, and here's our problem with history. We don't do history today. We do ideology today. We don't give clear pictures of what happened historically any, anymore. We just pull out our little piece of what we want to talk about with history, and we propose an ideology instead of giving a real clear historical account of what happened. So let me do that for you just a second. This is gonna, I haven't actually shared this in any of the other messages, but this is important. I tried to find this, this clip, this African-American pastor, and I haven't found it yet, but I read this uh, just a while back, a few months ago. I, I read this amazing article of this black professor talking. He said, listen, is America really good at this? He said, no, we're not. We're not good at healing the wound, the historical wound of slavery in our country. We're not good at this. People don't like it. And, and he said, but, but, but let me explain something to you. We are the first country in the history of the world to take people who were slaves, set them free, and try to make them equal to the people who had enslaved them. He said, this has never happened in history. Historically, when somebody enslaves another people group, they usually destroy them. So if you go back and you look at the Egyptians, you look at the Arabs, you look at the Muslims, you look at different people, historically, they just slaughtered the people group and there was never a battle of equality. But he said, in America, we've done this amazing thing. We've actually had Christians, please listen to this, Christians were the abolitionists. So many of the abolitionists were Christians. They understood their job was to do reconciliation. Does that make sense? They were to reconcile and close up this gap of this thing called slavery and try to heal the wound. And that started with abolishing slavery. 
and we are still, like it or not, battling a historical wound that is in our country. That's just reality. And Christians are supposed to be at the front end of that battle, not the what? Not the back end. Now, I know a lot of you don't like it because you're like, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with you. It's old, it's historical, it's hell, and God wants to heal it. That's what we're supposed to be about. Now, I said this last week, it's a community event. And you're like, how is healing a community event? Well, think like this. Throughout time in history, when we've had revivals, what happens in a revival? If God really stirs up the church, stirs up the land, what happens in a revival? I'll answer for you. We have meetings, is that right? We have revival meetings, yes or no? We, we have revival meetings. What do they do in revival meetings? They confess sin. Is that right or not? That's where revival always starts, when people confess their sin. They gather night after night after night, and they publicly confess what they've done wrong. This is, friends, church history. The emphasis is always on acknowledgement of sin and a call for repentance. That's what you do in revival meetings. And that is what we, why we, we said last week, it's a community event. Believers are supposed to lead the way. We are supposed to build the bridge. That's what the Holy Spirit asks Christians to do. That's what priests do. It's like this. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Now, you all know 1 Corinthians 13. It's a love chapter, right? Hello? Yes, Pastor, we read it in our wedding. Yeah, 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 yeah. It says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This wasn't talking about your wedding. It was talking about your destiny as a Christian. It's what we're supposed to be about. See, so many hurtful attitudes could be eradicated if we simply gave the other person the benefit of the doubt or the other group instead of taking it personal. Here's what we do. We just take it personal. <gasps> you're against me. You're trying to hurt me. No, no, no. Don't think like that if you're a Christian. You're not supposed to think like that. You're supposed to think like this. God, what can I do to make it better? What can I do to heal the breach? What can I do to heal the old historical wound? It doesn't matter what country you're in, friends. This is what hell does all over the world. It's not just an American thing. It's all over the world. It's every nation, every tongue, and every tribe fights the same battle. Here, here's the issue. You've got to make a decision and leave the judgment to God. You just have to make that decision. You've got to decide to leave the what? There's only one just judge. It is not me or you. It is who? It's God. Come on, say it loud with me. Who is it? It's God. you got to settle this thing. So I know you thought we'd never get here, but we're already at point number two on your little outline there. Whew. Took us a half an hour to get to point number two. We're going to be here till midnight. I'm joking. I know you want to go to Lucille's for lunch today. Watch. There's a problem. This is where I want to go with you, and we'll wrap this up. Can justice and mercy live together? It's a really important question. Can justice and mercy live together? Can God be just and be merciful? Yes or no? So here's the question, can you? Can you be just and also what? Merciful. Can you in your own personal relationships? Can you corporately? Can you in your national issues? Can justice and mercy live together? See, this is the whole world is struggling with this issue right now. All over the world. 
It's not just your country, it's all over the world, friends. People struggle with this all the time. South Africa struggles with it, Bosnia struggles with it, Northern Ireland struggle with it, the Kurdish people that have been slaughtered in, in, in Northern Syria and Southern Turkey, they struggle with it, African Americans struggle with it. Can public justice be in a group, can it be forgiven? Can, can, a, a, can justice for a group be, if you forgive public injustice, what, what does that mean? How do you do that? That's such an important, Jesus talked about this, friends. You gotta get this. This isn't Dan's idea. Jesus talked about this. We just missed it most of the time. And I wanna clarify it for you today. So, so here's the deal. Can justice in a group be forgiven? Because here's a guy named Eric Weisel. He's a Jew. Think Jews and Germans. Nazis and Jewish people. You know, six million of them were killed. Can they forgive that? Can they forget that? Eric Weisel said this in his book called Kingdom of Memory. He said this, justice without memory is incomplete what? It's incomplete justice. It's false and it's what? Unjust. To forget would be an absolute injustice in the same way Auschwitz was an absolute crime. So he's basically saying this, you can't do it. You cannot forget. There's no salvation for the victim. He went on and he said this, there's no salvation for the victim if we forgive and forget. That's why we have Holocaust museums. That's why you go to a Holocaust museum so you can see how bad it was so you don't what? You don't forget and do it again. So imagine a judge saying this, you murdered this person, but I wanna be merciful to you so I'm gonna let you go. Would that be just? Hello? Well, that, that, that would be completely unjust. It would be unjust to the victim, unjust to put the person back out in society, unjust to the guy or the girl or the person who, who never paid a price or got reformed. It would be unjust to just turn them out in society. So how do you do this? That's so important that you understand this. How do you do this? We keep the world safe by refusing to forget, that according to Eric Weisel. If you forget, you're gonna do it all over again. So it appears that you cannot really what? It appears you can't what? Forgive, but the Bible says you have to forgive. But Weisel says if you forgive, you risk the whole thing, injustice to the victim, the perpetrator, and you jeopardize your whole culture and society, if you forgive. But the Bible says you what? You must what? It doesn't say you can, you should, you should consider. Jesus said absolutely, you just have to forgive. If this has been done for you, you gotta do it for other people. So friends, let me help you with this picture. It takes a miracle. Do you get that? That's why the church is so important. And a lot of you are sitting here right now going, I'm yawning, this is boring. No, this is your whole life. This actually is your whole culture. This is the world. This is the spiritual battle that God has put you in. You and I have the answer, what the world needs, the Bible says we must forgive. So should Jews forgive the Holocaust? Should Jews forgive the Holocaust? Should blacks forgive slavery? Should Kurds forgive it being slaughtered? And should Koreans who were pillaged during World War II, their women raped by the Japanese soldiers, should they forgive? How many know this is hard? Hello? This is hard, this is hard. You're like, why did you teach this on a weekend? This is hard, we wanna feel good about being here. <laughs> I want you to feel good too. I want you to feel good about being a priest and a bridge builder, a reconciler, because that's what we're called to. Now watch this. If you don't forgive, you'll never forget and, and put it behind you. It will ruin your present and your future. 
And that's exactly what hell wants to have happen. That's not Dan's idea. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that. If you don't forgive, it leads to payback. And that's called revenge. And the Bible says don't take revenge on other people. It's often, revenge is often as bad as original violation or more. So, so that was Yugoslavia. If you don't study history, and a lot of us don't today, that was Yugoslavia. If you don't forgive, you're actually saying this. Here, here's what you're saying. I know what justice really is about more than anybody else. That's what you're saying if you don't forgive. I know what's, what, what justice, you're actually saying this. I know more than God. That's what you're saying. I get this more than God does. And I'm a better judge than who? Come on, help me, than who? Than God, I'm a better judge than God. How many know that's uh, not very smart? It's not a good idea. Listen, if you hold that never forgiving is correct, you are literally declaring that your justice is what? Absolutely correct. And how many of you know there's a theological term for that? Stupid. Because I have a problem, friends, deep inside. My justice is not just. It has a bend in it that always takes care of who? Me. Your justice is never just because your justice always takes care of who? You. That's how we are, friends, as people. So, so, so you gotta get this. That's the reason you have issues that go on simmer forever and ever, like the Balkans. There's a never-ending cycle of violence. If you hold that, then you end up being the oppressor, not just the person who's oppressed. Now, now here's the problem with this. Let's just get this really straight here for us. See, white people have a problem with this too. <laughs> you know, like, <gasps> did you just say that in church? Yeah, I did. <laughs> See, here, here's what white people have a problem with, affirmative action. So if they want the job, and they get passed over because there's affirmative action and a minority gets a job and the white person doesn't, the white person's thinking this, I didn't do slavery, I didn't do anything to that person, why should I not get a job because of that person? Because of that thing, I, I, that's not my fault. I mean, that's how we think. That's how people think, not just white people, but all people, but in America, we think like, well, if, I don't, if my kid doesn't get into college because of affirmative action and a minority kid gets it ahead of him, but my kid had better grades, that's wrong, that's unjust. That's how we think. See, we think individually, white folks do. Now, African Americans have a far more corporate sense of justice as a group. They feel like, as a group, they feel that their group was plundered of their destiny, their social capital, their economic capital, and their power to live on equal terms. They feel like as a group, they were taken advantage of. So whites have a more individual, individualistic understanding of justice, as in I had nothing to do with this. You know, with slavery, it shouldn't impact my life if I'm looking for a job, shouldn't impact my kid if they want to go to school. And, and, and so you have two groups who both think they're oppressed. Now actually, if you don't think this is true, yesterday, I saw President Obama being interviewed talking about this yesterday. He was talking about this on news yesterday. Somebody asked him, why do you think that people felt this way and why did they vote this way? And he, and he went right to this issue. Of he goes, you know, a lot of white people feel disenfranchised. White men, he said, feel disenfranchised and they don't feel like they're being treated fairly. And he goes, and that all needs to change. We need to change that thinking. Let me help you with this. You can't change thinking of people because we're all focused on our what? 
We are. We're all focused on ourselves. The only person who can change that kind of thinking, friends, is Jesus. That's why he has the answer. He can change the way people see themselves. Remember this, Cotalasso, he changes your value. So you're not just focused on what? But you start to focus on other people and helping other people and caring for other people. See, this isn't an American deal. Friends, this is all over the world. When I lived in Malaysia, I, I, I had this encounter with this Chinese pastor one day talking about his kids because his children were about ready to graduate from high school and they had been outlawed to go to college in Malaysia. The, the Malays were not as hardworking as the Chinese. The Chinese were very industrious, hardworking people. Their kids would study and study and study so they all got into college. And the Malay kids didn't study and study and study, so they got passed up by the Chinese, and the Malays finally said, enough of that, we're just gonna pass a law so y'all can't go to college here. That's what they did. I asked the guy straight away, how do you feel about this? And he goes, what am I supposed to do? God's gotta take care of my kids. This is a mission field for me. I'm a Chinese pastor in a Malay country. And he goes, they've outlawed my kids from going to college. How would you feel? Would that be just or unjust? Come on, help me. It would be unjust. But he, he went like this. God's got to take care of this. I got to trust him. He's bigger than my culture. Now, you got to think like this. Justice, public justice is a huge problem. It's not just in the USA, it's worldwide. It is Palestinians and Jews. It's Northern Ireland and Ireland. It's, it's violence all over the world because people can't settle this. And Jesus, listen, Jesus talked about this all the time. Over and over and over, Jesus talked about this. So here's the question for you. It's point number three and we'll be done. Here's the question for you. Is there such a thing as perfect justice? Only with Jesus. That's your answer. Is there only if you believe in the God of the what? That's it. That's really the answer. That's why the church is so important in this discussion. It's why God has raised up throughout time and century people that had the heart of the Father to close the gap, the wound, to try to heal the breach. You can see it over and over and over. See, we all think we're just until we're on top and then we just want revenge. That's how humans are, because we're focused on ourselves. Listen to this pastor. This is a, a really a Croatian pastor who watched this happen during the war there. His name is Miroslav Volf. And he talks about his people exacting revenge, even when though they were just trying to get justice. He said, My friends were all decent people, helpful neighbors. They never chose to plunder and burn. They never chose to rape and torture, nor did they secretly enjoy such things. But there was a dormant beast. However, and this beast was awakened in them from its uneasy slumber. The motives of those who set out to fight against brutal aggressors were self-defense and injustice. But the beast in others enraged the beast in them so the moral barriers holding back the beast were broken. In resisting evil, the people became entrapped in the very heart of it. He watched his own people who said, look, we just want justice, do exactly the same thing or worse to the people who had done it to them. 
Uh, there's an answer for this. It's in the Bible. I want you to read it with me right now. So I want you to read this loud and together. It's a little painful, but it's the Bible, okay? So let's read it loud and together. It says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of what? Sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even what? Not even one. There is no one who what? Understands. There is no one who seeks after God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave or open graves. Their tongues what? Practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and what? And bitterness. Their feet are swift to do what? Shed blood and ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Friends, this is a picture of people that don't know God. That's me and you without Jesus. That's everybody in the world without Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Do we have the ability to be just without Jesus? Come on, yes or no? Answer is no, very clearly. There's no one, no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. All have turned away. Together they become worthless. This is the heart of the Father. So, so, so what does that mean? It means everybody in the room has the potential to torture, maim, and hurt other people given the right circumstances and motives. I know what some of you are sitting there thinking, I'd never do that. You need to think like this. Without Jesus, given the right circumstances, you would. People do. Good people do bad things because there's this core issue inside of us that's called what? Sin. Sin, sin, sin. No person has a perfect concept of justice and injustice because of one thing. What is it? Say it loud with me. What is it? We all struggle with this, friends. I have a personal interest in an unjust heart. We always see it our own way. The only way to see it the right way is through Jesus' eyes. The only way to get it right and to heal other situations is to see it with Jesus' eyes. We can't live without justice, and we can't get it without him, so what are we supposed to do? I'll tell you what's so amazing about God. He never lets you free, does he? He just chases you. Some of you are like this, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Lucille's in and out as soon as I can get out of here. I'm forgetting this message forever. <laughs> let me help you with something. He won't let you. No, have you noticed that God's like the hound of heaven? He just chases people. Before you knew him, he chased you until he caught you, didn't he? And then once he catches you, then he keeps chasing you till your values become his values. He said he will complete the work that he started in you. He just keeps chasing you and chasing you and chasing you. You need to figure that out. I, I mean, I watched this with my mom. I talked to my, my mom last week, you know, and what she was raised as a racist and how racist she was, and she used the N-word all the time, and all that happened all the time in our house. And, and then, you know, when my mom got sick, we were bringing caregivers to our house, and a lot of them were African-American ladies, and they would get to the door and she'd go, I don't want that inward person in my house. And I'd go, oh, mom. i go, oh, girl, you need to change your mind and get healed and in Jesus' name and all of that. I mean, we'd pray for my mom all the time. She had a hard heart. She was hard. She was a believer too, but she wasn't soft inside. She wasn't a peacemaker. And you know what is so amazing about God? He doesn't quit on us. Have you noticed that? 
Even if you're a nut, he doesn't quit on you. You know, even if you're a hard nut to crack, he doesn't quit on you. He just keeps going after you. And he did that to my mom. Right up to the time when she was going to die. Right up the last couple months she was alive. And she moved into our house. And, and she was supposed to only live two months. And she lived two years. It was God getting justice with me. It was like, you know what? You're going to heal with this woman whether you like it or not. Boy, you better... No, it was, it was about that. It was just try to get healing with her, try to get healing with her, try to get healing with her. But you know what was so great to watch happen? When my mom was, went to hospice finally, to have hospice nurses, she didn't have a choice who was going to come. So guess who showed up? Yeah, the black lady who loved God. You know, she showed up. And she knew my mama was racist, and she just loved her and loved her and loved her, and loved her. So we were all curious, you know, was this actually, hap was something happening in there? You know, were you, were you figuring this out? What was, so one day we said to mom, we said, listen, we, we, we know you really don't like this, the black lady to be in the house, so would you like us to get rid of her and get somebody else? No, she said, no, Mary's my favorite nurse. Don't you get rid of her. I love her. We fainted. We all fainted. You know what I did? I went back to God. I go, you know, you're amazing. You just don't ever quit on us. Even she's on her deathbed, ready to go into eternity. He never gave up on her. He never gave up on her. How many of you know he's never going to give up on you? You don't have to be a reconciler, but you should be. You don't have to do the right things, but you ought to. See, the thing about God is he's looking for people who will fill the role. Without God, there's no perfect justice. There's just violence and retribution. That's what happened. Now, now watch this and we're done. Here's what you were called to. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the what? They should be called what? Christians? No, it doesn't say Christians, does it? Does it say Christians? So, 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 you can be a Christian and not be a what? Sons of God is an endearing term, friends. You gotta get that. You're a son or a daughter of God. That's an endearing term of intimacy with God. It's used all over in the Bible. And it has to do with intimacy with God. It's people who choose to follow. They're not forced to follow. They want to do their Father's will even if it's hard. See, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says this. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember, your brother has a, something against you, you leave your offering at the altar and you do what? Go and get what? reconcile to your brother, then come and present. This was so important to Jesus. Jesus said this, not Dan. This was so important to Jesus. He said, don't even come and worship. Don't even come and worship your father. Just go get it right with the people around you. Go get it right because you are a reconciler. You are called to be a peacemaker. Jesus said this. This is great. And we're just about done. So we're going to land the plane here. Jesus told us to take up our what? Our cross daily. You know, that's what Luke 9.23 says. But we don't take up our cross to crucify our flesh because Galatians 2.20 tells us that we are already crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. So, 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 what am I picking up my cross for? I was hoping you would ask that before we were done today. You pick up your cross so you can lay down your life for other people. That's the answer. That's what Christians are supposed to do, friends. You pick up your cross so you can lay down your life for other people. So you might be sitting here saying, Pastor Dan, I, I don't need it. It's not my call. Listen, you don't have to do it. 
You can be a Christian and not do it, but if you want to be intimate with God, you better figure this out. This is what his call is. Here we go, we're done. Matthew 5, 43 says this. You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus talking, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. Uh Uh-oh, there's that term again. Pray for your enemies because people that are intimate with me that really hunger to follow after me they surrender their values and get caught a lassoed. They get changed. They get new values. And they understand they're called to be a reconciler, a priest, a bridge builder, a person who stands in the gap, and they love their enemy. It says this, so you could be called sons or daughters of your Father in heaven, because he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he causes it to rain on righteous and unrighteous people. For if you love only people that love you, what have you done for a reward, Jesus said? Don't even tax gatherers do that? Everybody loves people who loves them, but if you greet only your brothers and sisters, people that look like you, act like you, and think like you, what abundance in that are you doing? What do you do? Are you loving anybody? No, you're just doing what's comfortable. Don't the Gentiles do this? You need to be complete. The word really literally is mature, full, just as your heavenly father is complete. So my role is never what? It is never revenge. I know it's coming up here. It's not. Our role is never what? This is God's role, friends. It's not my role. Romans 12, 19 says this. Never take your own what? Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will what? I'll repay, I'll take care of it. Listen, justice is in God. On the cross, Jesus died and paid the debt of injustice. You gotta figure this out. It makes him the one who can break through. It makes him the one who can do this. I can't do this. God came and paid the debt for all of our what? Injustice. It makes him able to finally break through and bring real justice to every situation. Does God want to heal the breach in our land? Yes or no? Does he want to heal the breach in Malaysia? Yes or no? In Africa? Yes or no? Bosnia? Yes or no? Between Koreans and Japanese? Yes or no? It's always, listen, Hell wants to divide people and destroy people. Jesus wants to heal the breach. He wants to bring people into relationship. So, 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 we're gonna do one more week on this, but let me explain to you why we're doing this. Because I'm not gonna stand here and tell you that you're supposed to do something without equipping you to do it. Because Ephesians 4 says that we're supposed to equip the saints for the work of service. So what we're actually doing is putting together classes to train you how to be reconcilers and people that close the gap. So we are going to have classes in our country that deal with racial reconciliation because the gap in our country is racial. Does that make sense? I can tell you're excited. You're like, whoo-hoo. Well, I can't wait to take that class, Pastor Dan. No, really, listen. You're supposed to be equipped, friends. You're supposed to be reconciler. We equip you in every area that we see that we're supposed to equip you. We have equipping classes all over. We have school of ministry. Why? Because we are called to equip the saints for the work of service. What's the work of service we just talked about today? Reconciliation. Is that right or not? Come on, help me. Yes or no? 
Are we supposed to be reconcilers? Yes or no? Are we supposed to be priests? Yes or no? Bridge builders? Yes or no? Close the gap? Yes or no? It's all in the Bible. It's not my idea. So my responsibility is to teach you how to do it, equip you how to do it, and then set you free to start to do it. The church is supposed to lead the way. Amen? Stand with me, would you? Father, I know this is a hard, hard discussion in our culture and our country. And we need you to heal us so we can help heal the breach in the wall. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would change our values and we would be soft-hearted to let you. That we would let you get into our business deep, deep, deep and do work that we could never do on our own because you alone have the answer that we need. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Well, thanks so much for being with us here today. I know we, uh, I've really enjoyed these messages about reconciliation. I think it's such an important topic for our time. And I know for some of us, this is a hard topic. I know um, I, I was eager, but I'm also thinking about things in my life where there have been uh, unreconciled relationships and things that are really difficult to walk through. People that I, I don't really talk to anymore, stuff like that. And we're all wondering, you know, is, is, there, is there still an area where I need to forgive or maybe for some of us where I need to ask forgiveness or I need to seek rec reconciliation with someone. And so before you run off, I want to encourage you a couple of points to think about um, before you head off into your week. And the first is to consider what is the difference between revenge and justice? We know that God is a just God. Um, we know that revenge is not ours to take, but what is the difference between those two things? And then the other thing is to respond, to prayerfully release any desire for revenge, um, to consider uh, and ask God to reveal your role in his desire for reconciliation. You know, what am I supposed to be doing, God? Am I still supposed to be uh, putting myself out toward this person, trying to create forgiveness and reconciliation or not? You know, what am I supposed to be doing here? And so I know this could be a, a tough topic, but I know that the Holy Spirit is with you. God is for you, and he wants us to be reconcilers. He wants us to be a people who have taken on that, that mantle of reconciliation, just like Christ did for us. And so I want to encourage you with that, to maybe take a screenshot or maybe write down these points real quick before they disappear off the screen. And as always, if you need prayer today, you can follow uh, instructions from your online host as to how to get prayer right now if you're watching in, uh, in the online format. Or you can always reach out to our team during the week by calling the church office. And so I uh, just want to encourage you uh, as we get into this kind of the, the, the main part of the holiday season to just keep Christ right in the center of your family celebrations and everything you're doing. And so, Father, just for everyone who's listening right now, I just pray your spirit would be upon them, your grace would be upon them, God, and that they would be able to focus on the Christ child, on who you are and what you've done in their lives during this season. That if there's those that maybe don't even have a relationship with the Lord, that God, this would be the season that they would find Jesus for themselves and the power of his salvation and his resurrection. So thank you, Lord, so much for this time and the spirit that you've poured out on us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.